This is the Steelers Preview Show on WDVE Pittsburgh. Here are your hosts, Mike Prezuda and Matt Williamson. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Steelers Preview. I'm Mike Prasuda along with Matt Williamson. We're your Thursday tag team getting you ready for Sunday's home opener for the Steelers. Not that anybody's going to the game, but they are going to be playing at Heinz Field. The Steelers and the Denver Broncos. Pittsburgh checking in at 1-0 after a 26-16 victory over the New York football Giants on Monday night. The Denver Broncos 16-14 losers at home to Tennessee in the second game of that annual weekend uh, one doubleheader that the NFL likes to stage. Uh, Back to a little more normalcy this week, a 1 o'clock game on Sunday. Matt, we've got a lot to break down tonight, uh, but first uh, and foremost, I wanted to talk about the Steelers a little bit and get your impressions from Monday night. What would you like the most? What concerned you the most? And uh, what else did you come up with watching the Steelers and the G-Men? Yeah, a fun game to watch, obviously. It was great for me, finally, just to see new football. I haven't had the luxury of going to practice. I haven't seen some of these guys in pads in a very long time. So that part's all going well, psyched for this upcoming weekend. I I thought the Giants played reasonably well. I thought Daniel Jones held up well. But, man, that ferociousness of the Steelers defense and the aggressive game plan they took of just flat out attacking the run and showed a lot of faith in their cover men, their secondary to pull off such a thing. And, uh, you know, Dale and I were talking the other day, like, would you have ever done that years ago when the corners weren't nearly this good? You couldn't have pulled off such an aggressive game plan and just attacking Barkley before he gets started. Cause you know, once he gets ahead of steam, he can hurt you bad, and I think it was just a week ago I was saying the Steelers lose this game in New York. It's because Barkley blew up, and they didn't allow that to happen and must have agreed with me because they were all over him. Yeah, one uh, one decent gain on a little swing pass, but six rushing yards on 15 attempts for Saquon Barkley, who's as good as it gets uh, in the NFL at that running back position. Eight of his 15 carries, the majority – Went for a loss of yardage. The Steelers coming up with tackles for loss all over the place. Uh, 11 of those, uh, three sacks, two turnovers, and that attacking style uh, that you referenced, Matt. How uh, sustainable do you think that is? They're going to play a lot of really good running teams this year and a lot of really good running backs. Uh, Did they show you enough on the back end that they can play uh, as much single as they did and uh, they can hold up their end if everybody else was in attack mode? Yes, but I don't think we'll see it to that degree again this year. I mean, I, I think that they were challenging a young quarterback and the, the 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 scariness of Barkley really, you know, was in the forefront there. That we can't allow this guy to keep ripping off big plays and, and abuse us. Then we're going to challenge uh, Jones to, you know, take advantage of that and think quick on his feet because he is a guy that holds the ball a lot. And he looked a lot better in that regard. And I thought Jones held up pretty well and did convert some plays against, you know, a, a lot of pressure. I, I don't know that that's how the Steelers will play, you know, week after week, though. Let's get to the uh, practice particulars from yeah. today for both teams. For the Steelers, uh, everybody full participants with two notable exceptions. Guard Stefan Wisniewski, chest, and guard David DeCastro, knee. Of course, Wisniewski was replacing DeCastro before he got hurt. The Steelers ended that game against the Giants with uh, the fourth-round rookie Kevin Dotson. 
at right guard and Chuck Wuma, a core four at right tackle. Randy Figner, the offensive coordinator, talked to the media via Zoom today. He would not confirm that a core four is going to be the right tackle, but he did talk about uh, Gerald Hawkins, the the guy they just re-signed, uh, the former fourth-round pick in 2016. Hawkins rejoining the team and Finkner telling a little anecdote, Matt, about how Hawkins came in and said, hey, coach, are we still doing this, this, and this? And Finkner said yes. And then Hawkins, according to Finkner, said, okay, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, uh, can, this guy, can this guy possibly be the swing tackle uh, after Ooh. just days after rejoining the team? Hawkins. Yeah, no, I meant who, not who. Um, oh. <laughs> that's asking a lot. I mean, that uh, he had some low moments Kinda here. Kind of out, out of options, though, aren't they? I right. Mean, I mean, desperate times. Somebody got to do say. it. At least he knows what he's doing. And in this environment, you don't have the, t- the time to teach people all that much. Um, I, I guess they're fortunate that he was available. He knows what he's doing. Um, there is ability there. You know, watching him as a rookie, I thought, boy, he moves well. There, there's certainly something to work with there. Never really put it all together, though, but does have some, you know, right tackle and left tackle flexibility. It's scary. I mean, I got to think that if either of the tackles goes down, Chooks or Al, Filer probably becomes the option before them, unless Wisniewski and DeCastro are out, which could be the case, too. So they can't afford another offensive line injury to bottom line. Yeah, it's, it's real thin for this early in the season. For the Broncos, uh, kind of a mixed bag in Denver. Uh, Mark Barron, uh, the guy who was with the Steelers last year, uh, did not play last week, uh, or actually this week, Monday night, for the Broncos, and he hasn't practiced yet this week because of a hamstring problem. A.J. Bouye, the cornerback, uh, IR. Uh, they're hoping to get him back, but he's not going to play against the Steelers. Philip Lindsay, running back toe, uh, did not practice for the second consecutive day that's supposed to be a tag team at running back in Denver between Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon uh, the left tackle Garrett Bowles limited with an elbow for the second consecutive day and uh, one of the key wide receivers Cortland Sutton limited for the second consecutive day with a shoulder good news uh, for the Broncos uh, not unanticipated but Kareem Jackson uh, not injury related he sat out yesterday coach's decision he was back up to full speed today and uh, Matt this is a Denver team that uh, looking at that final score 16 to 14 you think ah oh, they almost had it and you know they they lost it late on a field goal but uh, just a horrific night for the Titans new kicker uh, Stephen Gostoski who missed three field goals and an extra point this could have been 26 14 it could have looked a lot like that Steelers Giants score uh, I think the game kind of did look a lot like that Steelers-Giants game. Titans didn't really blow Denver out of the water, but uh, after uh, a couple of early hiccups, uh, you never really thought Tennessee was in much danger. No, you're absolutely right. And uh, you know, one other injury note for those that might not be paying attention to Denver, Vaughn Miller's out for the year, too. That's the biggest of all of them. They don't have a lot of defensive playmakers left. And uh, to their credit, they were e- they were able to keep Derrick Henry – sort of under wraps, but to the detriment of the team, they were able to just keep handing it to Henry, and eventually, you know, he's churning out over 130 yards from what I remember. And you're right. I mean, if Goskowski, he missed four kicks, including an extra point, with a bad hip, old, he kind of looks like this year's version, Adam Vinatieri, that, you know, was a once great kicker who shot. Um, that made it a lot closer looking than it was. I thought Drew Locke played well early in the game, 
and then was fine. It actually Locke kind of remind me of Jones's performance where from where I saw them last year to this year, they look like they belong more than they did as rookies, but still, you know, need a lot of things to go right around them. And, you know, Sutton being out is huge for them. Their tackle situation in the perimeter for Denver is really rough right now. Working on a, a rookie center. You mentioned Lindsay being out. And I don't think that's a huge thing, but, you know, Gordon's a good player. But this isn't a team that can handle a lot of, you know, injury hardships right now. Yeah, the Broncos, uh, the youngest uh, average age in the NFL uh, in the vicinity of 25 years uh, of age is that average. And uh, you referenced uh, the job they did on Henry. Yeah, it was pretty good. You know, uh, Denver held Derrick Henry to 28 yards on 15 carries last year, uh, by far his worst game of the season. And Henry didn't dominate anything uh, this time around. He uh, was able to uh, pick up uh, 116 yards. It took him 31 attempts to get there. So 3.7 a carry for him. That's not a very good day. But Matt, what jumps out at me, uh, the game was close throughout and passed the ball 43 times. I'm sorry, no, you broke have... up there for one second. I didn't hear what you said about uh, the, the game was close throughout or Tennessee was leading. You know, it was either 14-7 mm-hmm. or, thir- or, excuse me, 13-7 or 7-7. Tennessee and Ryan Tannehill threw the ball 43 times. Yeah. Uh, they saw they saw something that, that made them say, you know what? We got one of the best backs, but we're going to throw it because these guys are vulnerable, right? I mean, that's kind of the key, too. I mean, if Henry's getting 30-some carries and Tannehill's throwing the ball 43 times, you're just out there too much. You're not getting enough help from your offense. You know, the Steelers – Remember that vividly a year ago. What stands out to me to take it a step further is for people that don't follow the Titans, they had a very good offense last year, and their offensive line is pretty good, but the protection of their offensive line is really problematic last year. And they're they're big mashing run blockers for Henry. And Denver still couldn't get to Tannehill despite that many dropout dropbacks and not such such great protection unless it's vastly improved from a year ago and they have one game to go off of. But that Denver pass rush to me is an alarm, an alarm bells going off that it really is missing Von Miller. Yeah, one sack and uh, not a lot of anxious moments for Ryan Tannehill yeah. in, in that Tennessee pocket. And uh, the Broncos sustained a bad injury late in the second quarter. I mentioned A.J. Bouye, the cornerback, uh, was put on IR this week, short-term IR. He's not going to play. Uh, when he went out, uh, that pretty much took away the dime that they were trying to play in passing situations and made Denver a nickel team. And two of the guys in that nickel were rookies, Michael Amugier, uh, third-rounder out of Iowa, and Asang Bassey, who was an undrafted free agent out of Wake Forest. He's the guy that actually took over. Uh, Bouye's position, and uh, they were kind of going four-two-five uh, when they were in sub-package thereafter. But uh, as you mentioned, not a lot of splash out of this Denver defense. Not a lot of guys that uh, get your attention or jump off the screen at you. Bradley Chubb is a pretty accomplished player, but mm-hmm. boy, was he quiet against Tennessee. Yeah, and even going into that game, they were saying he might be on a pitch count because he's recovering, for, recovering still from a very serious injury missed all last year. I think he played about 76% of the snaps from what I remember, you know, three quarters, give or take. And it's fine, but it, it, he's a very good player. I just don't think that he's a great player. Even like when he came out of school, 
of all the edge guys that have been drafted in the top 10 in the last 10, 15 years or whatever, I would kind of put him at the bottom of the list in terms of um, just athletic ability traits. I mean, he's not a Bosa, a Garrett, a Chase Young type guy, even though he was drafted quite high. He's a good player, but really benefited his rookie year with Vaughn Miller on the other side. Now the Steelers can roll roll protection his way too, and I think he's going to have a difficult time overcoming that. Um, they do have a good pair of safeties, and I, I, re- I respect Fangio a lot as a defensive coordinator. They, The way he schemes things up, he doesn't ask a ton out of his corners, so he usually doesn't leave them in very compromised positions. They, he does a very good job of, you know, changing things up, being unpredictable, disguising coverages, prefers to have really active inside linebackers, you know, going back to Bowman and Willis. And when he was in Chicago, they drafted Roquan Smith really high for that reason. You know, you mentioned, you know, that four, two, five, they'd really need active guys there. And the, the, the defense is decent up the middle. It's just the edges and the corners aren't so great, which is kind of how it's designed. If Von Miller's there and, I think it's like the fourth time I said if Vaughn Miller was there or they miss Vaughn Miller, you know? I don't think you can emphasize that <laughs> it's enough. Big, uh, yeah. I mean, he's the guy out there. And, you know, ESPN on the Monday night game did what I thought was a great uh, graphic, a very interesting graphic. Uh, according to ESPN, Denver is the only common era team, uh, common draft era team, excuse me, to have uh, top 50 picks at quarterback, tight end, and three times at wide receiver hmm. in one three-year span. Now, that sounds that sounds a little out there, uh, but you look at the names. Cortland uh, Sutton, second round in 18. Uh, Noah Fant, first round in 19. Drew Locke, second round in 19. Jerry Judy, first round in 20. And K.J. Hamler out of Penn State in 20. That's some dynamic offensive talent, or in the case of Locke, a guy they hope is going to be a dynamic offensive talent, but not addressing the defense much. And it shows they got a bunch of guys. You know what I mean? They're, they're, they're not horrible, but where's the splash? Where's the game-changing guy? Uh, where's the guy who's going to blow it up for you on third down and get you off the field? I don't know that Denver has that guy without Miller, Matt. Yeah, yeah you're right. And it's interesting because they are an interesting team-building conversation. And you mentioned all the resources through the draft they've used on offense. And it's all about speed. I mean, I think they're trying to mimic the division rival Chiefs. When in doubt, give me a Hamler. When in doubt, give me a Meikle Hardman. You know, just side on getting more and more weapons around their young quarterback. And they have supplemented the defense a little, you know, but it's mostly been through free agency. Jarrell Casey, Bouye, those guys have been traded for. Now Bouye's out. Once again, Vaughn Miller's out, you know, and a defensive-minded coach, can scheme some things up, but I understand what they're doing is they dove in the deep end with Drew Locke to build around him. I mean, I was shocked they didn't add an Andy Dalton or someone not super threatening, but at least a quality number two. (laughs) Andy would qualify. (laughs) Yeah, he's non-threatening. But instead, they just kept adding weapons around Locke, and I'm sure we'll get to him more, but uh, we'll see if it works. It's an aggressive... Chiefs-like build. In the uh, early stages from what it appears so far. When we come back, we're going to be joined by a guy that uh, Matt and I both know, uh, a guy I used to work with at the Pittsburgh Tribune Tribune Review in what feels like another lifetime. 
Uh, Jeff Legwald of ESPN.com is going to tell us about the Broncos and about the Hall of Fame. We're not going to have Merrill Hodge tonight, but uh, Merrill did send his uh, regrets and regards, and he texted me with some Broncos thoughts, so I'll give those to you. And Matt and I are also going to take a little bit of a trip around the NFL tonight looking at how the Steelers' upcoming opponents this season fared in week one. That's all to come, so keep it here. You're listening to the Steelers uh, preview show right here on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE. Back to the Steelers preview show on DVE. Welcome back. Mike Pursuta along with Matt Williamson. We're with you tonight till 8 o'clock on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE and on SNR. We're talking Steelers and Broncos coming up on Sunday at Heinz Field. Nobody better than to do that with than our next guest, a guy I go back a few years with. Here's how many. Uh, Jeff Legwald uh, is our guy from ESPN.com Denver. Jeff and I used to work together at the Pittsburgh Tribune Review back when the quarterback debate was Neil O'Donnell or Bubby Brister. Back when uh, we'd go up to Long Island to cover the NHL playoffs and uh, go to the Islanders' uh, barn, the Nassau County Coliseum, and marvel at their four Stanley Cup banners compared to the Penguins' two. Jeff, have we really been doing this for this long? I can't get a real job, so I'm just hanging on, baby. <laughs> well, I appreciate you taking a few minutes to talk to us tonight. And before we get into Steelers-Broncos, uh, you are also a member of the Hall of Fame's Board of Selectors and have been for a long time. And I wanted to get your thoughts, uh, A, on Bill Nunn's uh, legitimacy as a, a Hall of Fame candidate, and B, if you think he's actually going to get in. Well, you know, I always like to, you know, I've been on the seniors committee for a long time. And those committees, the senior committee and the contributor committee, do a ton of work to vet the person that that becomes a finalist. So that that weighs big time on the the entire board of selectors. So uh, the fact that Bill Nunn has come out as the contributor finalist, I I think, gives him a, a stupendous chance. Uh, to to get in the Hall of Fame again. Uh, those candidates are vetted big time, and and usually someone from that committee or multiple people from that committee will stand up during the main meeting and sort of outline why that person was chosen. So uh, I think it's a great chance. I I think he's a spectacular candidate. I I have three people with scouting pedigrees I I think should be in the Hall of Fame. There are probably many more, but uh, for me, Bill Nunn, uh, Buck O'Kilroy, and, and a, an old scout that has helped me or helped me when he was alive over the last 30 years, uh, C.O. Bricado. I, th- I think those three guys are in my scouting list who should be in Canton. Uh, but that's I, I think Bill Nunn is, is a great, and I, ho- I hope he I hope he gets enshrined. I, I think it's a long time coming. What what, st- what stood out uh, the most to you when you studied him? Um, why is he a, as you say, stupendous candidate? And by the way, I couldn't have put that better myself. It's a big story back here, obviously, Bill Nunn, uh, very special, near and dear to everybody in Steeler Nation's heart. But uh, what uh, what floored you about his accomplishments? Uh, you, you know, you just go by the, the, the players who – you, the, the lineage of the players you can track to him, you know, a uh, scout's job is to find players for the team, you know, and, and 
you know, he certainly did that. And, and I think he did it at a time when, when not a lot of people were, were going to the, the HBCUs. And, and I think, you know, having worked in Nashville and having spent some time out at Tennessee state uh, over the years, I, I just think that to, to find a, or to be a key figure in, in getting those players to the NFL, I, I think that alone, but then you look at the quality of player and what those players did as pros, I, I think you have exactly what a contributor is. It's just, you know, did you make the game better uh, in your career? And would people have a difficult time discussing the history of the league if you're not in the conversation? And I, I think he fills both of those both of those things. Jeff, hey, Let's Matt. Fast forward. Oh, sorry, oh, go sorry ahead. Matt, go, go ahead. Good. No, you got it. You got it. Jeff, it's been a while. Matt Williamson here. I think the last time we talked yeah. was probably eight to ten years ago on the Football Today podcast at ESPN. How you doing, man? I'm great, man. I'm I'm still doing the same job, apparently. So Good for I, you. A lot of guys get promoted, but I just keep on doing the same. <laughs> Some of us didn't. Uh, quick question no. for you. In the first segment, I think I said – Boy, but the loss of Von Miller really hurts that. Or this defense isn't the same without Von Miller. I think I said that five or six times in the first segment alone. It's a really derailing situation, isn't it? Well, you know, the way I've put it here is, you know, every time when guys get injured, you know, you always hear the next man up speech. Well, you know, I got news for you. There there ain't no next man up for Von Miller. You know, it's uh, the, the guy is, and, and I'll, I'll be honest, and I'm not, overstating this i'm not puffering i've seen every training camp practice the guy has had in his career and i've i've been here for his entire career and he he has never had a better training camp than the one he had uh this year and that is difficult in in these times of of covid but he he was phenomenal uh there were some plays that were almost comical to watch and he was going to have a big year. I, I personally think he would have pushed for his first 20 sack season this year. I, I, that's where I thought he was as a player objectively. So yeah, this is a, it's an enormous loss. And I think mentally it's, is as much as schematically because, you know, his teammates saw what kind of camp he's having. His teammates saw what he did in the off season. Uh, you know, I, I think that's the part they had to, they had to wrap their heads around too. I mean, the plan, you imagine going out there every day and you're his teammate and you're watching him do his thing in practice. And you're like, Oh yeah, we're, this is going to be something good for us. So they they've had to adjust on the fly quickly. You know, they're going to do the best they can. I, I will say it, you know, the Monday night, they, they predominantly stuck to four man pressures, you know, now they mixed and matched a little bit, but uh, four man pressure is about 80% of the time. And, uh, overall, and I think it was about 84% of the time after A.J. Bouye left the game. And, the, you know, so they, they stuck to a four-man look uh, much of the time. It looked pretty much, Jeff, uh, as if they just went nickel after Bouye got hurt as well. Did I see that right? Uh, I saw some dime in the first half, but uh, down to five DBs and two of them being rookies, I can't imagine Fangio saw that as an ideal scenario. Yeah, you know, I actually think the Titans, Mike, may have overthought that a little bit. I mean, I think they saw the injuries and sort of put the Broncos in the nickel, whereas 
you know, if they'd have stuck to the base, they might have been able to run the ball a little better. I mean, they got some cheap yardage late, and that's what puffed up the total a little bit. But, uh, yeah, that, it was mostly nickel the, the entire second half. Uh, I think I had, let's see, I think I had 10 snaps in the second half that were not nickel. So that's that wasn't very many. Jeff, we were talking a little bit about Drew Locke earlier, and I like him as a prospect. I don't mean this to sound like I'm bashing the guy, but I still was shocked that John Elway went so much diving in the deep end with this guy and no backup plan and just all chips are in on Drew Locke. Well, Matt, I think some of that was they he they do believe in him as a prospect and, and you know, it's all that you know that you know you know more than better than anyone. You you don't want the false positive in scouting, and you don't want the false negative either. So you know, they, <laughs> I think they were comfortable with the idea that the last five games last year gave them a glimpse, and I I think essentially they had tried the let's build around the defense and and make do uh, on offense, and I, I think finally he. He was the quarterback who showed them just enough, you know, in the post Manning era here that, okay, let's, let's give him some support and then see what happens. And I I think that was the route they went. And you're right. I mean, first time ever in the franchise's history, they used the first two picks on wide receivers. So uh, it was pretty clear where they were going. Uh, He's had moments in in camp and even in the opener where, you know, he, he looks advanced beyond where he is and then he has moments when when you see the where the developmental curve still is and you know it's going to be learning on the job he's he's not going to get any any breaks now he's he's behind center and he's going to have to fight through it yeah it was interesting i got on your zoom yesterday uh with the denver media talking to vic fangio and Locke, and a lot of discussion about passes that he missed misfires he uh, uh, Drew Locke likened them to slicing the ball on the golf course and a couple of key drops by Jerry Judy, who, uh, you know, what can you say about what he did at Alabama? But uh, do you expect this kind of up and down out of this offense for at least a little while here? Yeah, probably initially, Mike. You know, and, and I've said here, you know, Pat Shermer is the, the fifth offensive coordinator in the last five years, and, you know, I think I'm pretty sure the plan to not be good on offense is to change the offensive coordinator every year. So, uh, you know, good way of doing it. You know, yeah. I mean, people are shocked here. Oh, they're, they're, they don't look smooth on offense. Well, you know, I got, I got a flash for you. You can't keep changing the playbook every 11 months and wonder why it doesn't look good. So, uh, I, I think they're hopeful they can get settled in and that they can run the ball well enough and play good enough defense. Now, you know, the Von Miller injury puts a pretty big crimp in that plan, but I think that's still how they got to live. And, uh, you know, I, I think that of the throws he missed, there were two touchdowns that he really missed. And, and you know, obviously those changed the game immensely uh, if, if he can make them. And they were fairly routine throws and throws I've seen him hit, you know, dozens of times. So, uh, that was a little quirky, and I don't know if he was just a little jacked up and and didn't have a chance to work all that out in the preseason, you know, in a, in a couple short preseason appearances. But yeah, he left two touchdowns on the table that were pretty routine throws. 
I don't mean to keep harping on injured players, but Cortland Sutton was one of my absolute favorite young receivers and on the brink of stardom, in my opinion. Um, obviously was missed in the first week, would be missed now. But boy, I mean, I, I think Broncos fans should be really optimistic about these young pass catchers. I mean, Judy is a perfect complement to Sutton's size and strength and mix in a little bit of Hamler's speed and elusiveness. And boy, Fant can really stretch the field too. But I think Sutton's the guy that straws you know, is the straw that serves the drink. Yeah, you're right, and you know he he is just so physical, and his his ability to win the contested play is, you know, as as you know, that is tough to find, and he he has every bit of that, and you know, again, kind of the story of their early season that that was the most freakish injury that that happened right in front of me at practice. He they they are still in the individual period at this point in practice and uh are just kind of playing some pitch and catch to get loosened up and and lock through a high ball and Sutton tried to catch it even though you know they weren't doing anything that would require him to make a play like that and he dove and you know he leapt and dove for it and he came down awkwardly and you know that's how he hurts his shoulder it it's on a it's on essentially a warm-up play uh, where where nothing is happening. So, uh, but I think it also speaks to him as a player. I mean, he was competing even in that moment. So, you know, that's the guy they need. And I, I will say, uh, Judy is as advanced a route runner I've seen on a as a young receiver in in a long time. I mean, he yeah he there were a couple times in the game he even twisted Malcolm Butler around. And that's not hard. That's not easy to do. And and I think, you know, the drops kind of clouded how good a night he might have really had. Uh, you know, especially if he comes up with the the catch at the four minute mark. You know, that drop really that that probably seals the game if he makes that catch. But he, you know, the kid is tough, mentally tough, uh, and I would not expect him to even have a blip uh, because of those two drops the other night. Jeff, uh, the Broncos picked up Anthony Ciccolo off the Saints practice squad today. Uh, they already had Mark Barron. Uh, they already had Deontay Spencer. They already had Nick Vanette, and they've already got Mike Munchak. Anybody else that uh, used to hang around the south side that uh, the Broncos <laughs> can bring in before the game and get a little inside information here? You got the offense, defense, and special teams covered. Well, you know, with the continuity there, you could, I mean, they're doing the same stuff. They're looking for the same kind of players they've been looking for for 25 years. So, uh, actually, the new you know the the new arrival is still uh, in COVID protocol. So uh, he may uh. be on the field. Yeah, he may be on the field tomorrow, maybe. But uh, and then uh, Mark Barron hasn't practiced since uh, September 4th. Since uh, yeah, he doesn't do that a lot. <laughs> I just if you're, if well, you're waiting I, on a lot of those, don't because uh, yeah. He'll, if, if you're going to tout all the you know new arrivals, you could at least send some guys uh, you know who are in on the practice field. <laughs> Jeff, this has been a lot of fun as it always is. Uh, sorry we won't get to see each other, uh, but neither one of us is going to the game Sunday. But uh, hey, you watch on your TV and I'll watch on mine, and maybe we'll text each other. Yeah, no, I'm still saying I'm using the same jokes I was in 1992, so you won't be missing anything. Jeff Legwald of ESPN.com 
Colorado. Jeff, uh, best of luck the rest of the season. Stay safe, my friend. Matt Williamson and I still have uh, another segment to go, and uh, we will get to that directly. So keep it here. We're going to be here until 8 o'clock. And when we come back, uh, as promised, I want to take Matt through uh, the Steelers' schedule and get his impressions on how their uh, future opponents did. Uh, There was a lot to chew on there as well. Uh, With Matt Williamson, I'm Mike Persuda. You are listening to Steelers Preview. We do this every Thursday from 7 to 8 right here on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE. Back to the Steelers Preview Show on DVE. Welcome back. Mike Persuda and Matt Williamson with you till 8 o'clock tonight on Steelers Preview. That was fun catching up with Jeff Legwald, a guy who uh, I go way back with. And uh, Matt has also uh, done a lot of quality work with Jeff over the years. Matt, did you listen to the commercials during the break? Uh, Vaguely while I screwed around on my phone. I wanted to ask if, uh, as I do, you get a chuckle now out of hearing Baker Mayfield scream, I woke up feeling dangerous. (laughs) I have heard that a couple times throughout the day, and I have chuckled each each and every time. Uh, He, he, yeah. He's become a bad quarterback. I didn't really like him coming out of school. I mean, we can have a long conversation about Baker, and most things I say will not be very positive. Normally, this is the time of the program where we check in with Merrill Hodge, but uh, Merrill, uh, believe it or not, is uh, hunting for bull, elk, and bear with a bow in the Gila Mountains of New Mexico. And apparently the Gila Mountains of New Mexico are way out there. Uh, Not much Wi-Fi or any other way to communicate with uh, other human beings, but he did text me a few thoughts. Broncos run game will be challenged with all the fronts and blitzes the Steelers do. Locke will force the ball down the field and give the Steelers opportunities at the ball. On the defensive side, this just in, uh, not having Von Miller makes a big difference <laughs> if you don't have to if you don't have to account for him in the game plan. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with that. Uh, Hodge goes on to say that uh, the Broncos fly around. Uh, one thing that stood out, their safeties are very aggressive. Yeah. They blow up uh, run plays. That being said, safeties like that can be taken advantage of down the field off hard play action. Uh, have a great show. Isn't he nice to wish us well? Yeah, that is well. I hope he has a good hunt. I didn't. I noticed that as well. Uh, the one guy in particular, number 22, Kareem Jackson, has been doing it for a long time. 11th year pro out of Alabama, and he will come up and knock you down. But I'm um, with Merrill. I think he can play action. These guys, uh, hopefully the Steelers can establish a little bit of a run. And I think it's going to be pretty vanilla uh, in terms of what Ben Roethlisberger's looking at, Matt. And, uh, boy, the Broncos, uh, the, the rush just isn't there in terms of numbers or pressure without Miller. And I think it's going to be a long, night, long day for that Denver defense. I do, too. And it's a well-coached group. It doesn't have massive strengths or weaknesses at this point. You mentioned the safety play. Both their safeties are high-quality players. Jackson's a former corner turned safety, but he's by no means, like you mentioned, you know, lack physicality in any way. Uh, Johnson, the linebacker, is a nice find for him, a big bruiser that can really run. They traded for Jarrell Casey. I mean, these these guys are decent players. Uh, Dayton Jones out out of Ohio State is a youngster that on passing downs can be disruptive in the middle. But I keep coming back to Miller. There, there just isn't that straw to stir the drink. I mean, the difference maker guy. Let's take a look at the rest of the Steelers' schedule now. Uh, after Denver, it's Houston. you got to go back to Thursday night. 
Uh, Matt, I, I, I got to say I wasn't surprised to see what I saw, and that's that uh, the Texans appear to have screwed up what was a pretty good offense by getting rid of DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, and you got to kind of feel for Houston in terms of scheduling. I mean, they get the Chiefs, then they get the Ravens. So are they going to come in here an 0-2 desperate type of team led by Deshaun Watson who's not used to losing? I mean, I think he is a superstar quarterback, but their Agreed. defense is pretty bad, and they don't have that – difference maker receiver that they've had. And, and I don't, uh, I mean, I think Houston's been looking to spread the ball around more and be less reliant on one receiver and make it more Watson's offense. And, but still, I mean, there's not a lot of guys that really scare you and the defense has needs some work too. They always go to Tennessee, the playoffs. Uh, Tennessee, we got to look at uh, against the Broncos uh, on Monday night and, uh, a lot of, lot of Ryan Tannehill throwing it around, but uh, I think they're going to get back to Terry sooner rather than later, even though he did have 31 carries. Uh, I don't think you're going to see as much uh, three-wide uh, drop back out of Tannehill against Pittsburgh. You're probably right, and maybe I'm looking a little too far ahead with the headline today, but the Steelers might be getting some good opponent injury luck. It sounds like A.J. Brown, who I adore. I think he's awesome is out this week and maybe much longer is what Schefter reported. So you take him out of that passing game, they get a lot easier to play against. Eagles found a way to lose to the Washington football team. Not easy to do. I look at that 27-17 win for Washington, Matt. To me, it was all about what Philadelphia didn't do, specifically block anybody up front. Uh, Embarrassing uh, was the, the characterization of that offensive line. Uh, Eagles, uh, I don't think the Eagles are the team I thought they were. I think they're bad. Yeah, I, I, I thought they had a, a contender's chance this year, that they could maybe be the that third best team in the NFC. And I, my hunch is that'll be their worst performance. And you're right, though. The, Wentz played poor. The game plan was really poor. Like, everyone knows Washington's D-line now with Chase Young is frightening. I mean, it's first-round picks yeah. galore. And Kerrigan's still really good. Yeah, yeah. Sweat's a first-rounder from last year. Payne, Allen, those Bama dudes. And Philly's got all these O-line injuries and shuffling. They didn't have their top running back. And they was just bombs away. Like, their average depth of target in that game, I think, was the greatest of any team in the league. Like, do you not care at all about Wentz's well-being and you're just going to keep chucking it deep? I mean, when you can't block anybody, it made no sense. Eight sacks. Yeah, Washington's scoring drives were 45, 20, 26, 48, and 20 yards. Uh, if you make if you make Washington earn Figure it, out, yeah. I don't think I don't think Washington's going to earn very much. We'll get uh, we'll get a look at Cleveland tonight, but what we saw uh, in Baltimore was not encouraging from the Browns. Usually they play those guys pretty tough, Matt. They beat them last year. I thought they rolled over for openers. Yeah, I mean that was my lock of the week, including the spread. Uh, I just think that. Cleveland has a lot of turnover, and I'm really interested on a short week how they rebound tonight. I don't have high hopes. I am not a Mayfield believer. He has a litany of problems, including his fourth offensive you know uh, system in a short amount of time, but doesn't see the field well. He had seven passes batted down in that game against Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And people don't talk about that enough, but that's like the norm. It's with not this out guy. of character. And yeah. Yeah. It happens I mean, all the time. Yeah. The the passes batted down and the turnovers are every week, and no one seems to kill this guy for that. 
And, you know, this is kind of the old scouting thing when people used to say, oh, he's too short to play quarterback. Well, now everyone said, well, Kyler's doing it. Russell Wilson's doing it. Drew Brees isn't the biggest guy. Baker Mayfield's too short to play quarterback. He can't see. And he immediately rules to, rules to his right. Everyone knows what he's going to do. He gets yep. passes batted back in his face. And he just doesn't see the field well. And frankly, his first overall picks go, he's about the least naturally talented one that I can remember. Jacksonville, Indianapolis, to me, that was a carbon copy of Philadelphia, Washington. Uh, I thought Indianapolis was going to be very good this year. I, I was just, I thought Phillip Rivers, all he needed was a good offensive line in front of him, which he didn't have last year. He threw for 363 yards and he was awful, Matt. And I don't think it's what uh, Jacksonville did. Uh, Gardner Minshew's right. 19 for 20 for very few yards aside. I thought it was what Indianapolis did not do in blowing leads of 7-0, 14-7, 17-14, and 20-17 on the way to a 27-20 loss. Yeah, they were very, very vanilla on defense, which I thought we'd see more of this weekend, you know, week one, because you might not trust your guys to, you know, to do more nuanced things. But you do that, and a guy like Minshew, you can say what you want about him, but he's going to pick apart predictable coverages. And, you know, if you don't do anything out of the ordinary, and you're right, on the other side of the ball, I forget how many attempts Phillip Rivers had, but the answer is he had way too many. 46. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, that's a losing proposition with that guy because if he throws the ball 46 times, four or five of them are potential picks. I mean, that's just who he is now. If you would – your point about behind the offense, a better offensive line makes a lot of sense. If he could reel in his, you know, he thinks he's Brett Favre. You know, you just need to, yeah. they need a game manager. And people have are a little misled of what he is. That's not what he is. He's a big time risk taker and it doesn't usually work out. Boy, and when he's not taking risks, he's just throwing it sideways, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Never saw a running back he didn't want to throw to in the flat, apparently. Uh, Buffalo, I think, is going to be very good. Hard to tell based on a game against the Jets. But uh, Josh Allen, 300 yards passing, and he led his team in rushing. Uh, Also lost two fumbles. But uh, I think that Bills team's formidable. Uh, It's funny how you said that. First of all, I think the Jets are really bad. It might end up with the first overall pick. So that's let's see what Buffalo does this week. And I will say that's one of the best I've seen Allen play. But I've been saying this all week. Like, every time I talk about Josh Allen, and I'm not the biggest fan, it's always like – and this week, this game was the perfect example was, boy, look at all the stats he accumulated. He made a lot of big plays. He made some really nice plays. And then, like you said, but – there's always a but. But he missed five open receivers that were layups and had a dreadful fumble. Like, there's always that. There's just – he's a roller coaster. Dallas, uh, probably a little overrated, not a bad team, but uh, found a way to lose to the Rams, and the Bengals found a way to lose uh, to the to the uh, Chargers. That's what the Bengals do. But, you know, I bet Ryan Finley wouldn't have taken them all the way down the field in the last two minutes and had a potential game-winning touchdown that got called back because of a penalty. Joe Burrow's going to make that team interesting. Uh, Matt, we got about a minute and a half left. We've got to get to the prediction uh, for Sunday. Who do you like, Steelers, Broncos, and what kind of game is it going to be? I like the Steelers. I don't see a lot of avenues of scary things in the Steelers' path this week. I think they can play it pretty straight up on both sides of the ball, win this game 24-14. I'm uh, thinking Steelers as well. 
I think maybe the offense gets untracked a little bit earlier. I, I do. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing Hamler. I hated him at Penn State, and when I say I hated him, it's because he was so good. Uh, he made life miserable for my team. That's why I hated him. Uh, Judy will bounce back and play better, but I think the quarterback has his limits. If they keep him in the pocket, it's going to be a long day offensively as well. I'll go 30 to 10 Steelers. That's going to do it for tonight's program. I want to thank Jeff Legwald of ESPN.com Denver for being our guest tonight. Uh, thanks to Shirtless Tom for pushing the buttons behind the glass and uh, making this sound uh, as well as he possibly could, given the limitations of what he's working with. And thanks for you for finding us and tuning in. Don't forget, we will be doing this every Thursday during Steeler season, 7 to 8. Uh, appreciate you finding us. We'll talk to you again next week. For Matt Williamson, I'm Mike Persuda. You've been listening to Steelers Preview on SNR and your flagship home of the Pittsburgh Steelers, 102.5 DVE. Good night, everyone.